this is Dr. Paul Kilgore for the Quantitative Health Podcast. Welcome back and so glad you could join us today. Looking forward to wrapping up the month of February with a great topic today. So we're going to bring together a lot of the concepts and discussion we've had about stress over the month of February. And actually, we talked a little bit about this in the month of January and even last year in my podcast. So if you do have any questions in detail, particularly about oxidative stress and related topics on stress, you can refer back to the previous episodes that are available online through your podcast, through the apps on the phone. Also, I'm available on iHeartRadio and also on TuneIn and SoundCloud and a bunch of other online interfaces where you can download and listen to the Quantitative Health Podcast. Okay, so let's jump right into today's topic, and that's really about quantitative stress. Now, keep in mind, if you have any questions for me, you can always email me at quant, at quantitative-health.com. Again, that's quant, Q-U-A-N-T, at quantitative-health.com. Com. Also, you can see my website online at quantitative-health.com. Quantitative is spelled Q-U-A-N-T-I-T-A-T-I-V-E and then hyphen health.com. You can also call me anytime on my 800 number. It's actually 1-888-406-0008. Again, 1-888-406-0008. 0008. Okay, so let's jump right into this topic today. And really the title for today's episode is Stress in the Big Picture. What does it mean? And to some extent today, what I'd like to do is deconstruct or break down what we know about stress a little bit and how we can approach it in a way that actually relates to our own lives. Because it's a kind of a complicated topic and I don't want you to get lost in the weeds and kind of confused. So let me break it down a little bit. And I'm going to state the most obvious thing. I'm sure you probably realize this already, but I'm just going to put it out there and I'm going to say stress is not good for our health at all. We really know stress can lead to a whole variety of illnesses. And I probably won't be able to list them all here, but let me tell you that we have evidence now that it relates to or can lead to or be associated with the higher risk of cancer, heart disease, diabetes, mental illnesses such as depression and others, insomnia and obesity, and certainly metabolic disease, metabolic syndrome, which can manifest as liver disease. We're going to talk about that in just a minute later. One of the things I wanted to mention too is that when we think about stress, we know actually stress can manifest in a lot of different ways. We also know that we can be stressed and actually not realize it. In other words, you can look to all outward appearances completely normal, healthy, feeling good, and people look at you and you say, wow, you look great. In fact, we know we can be under stress, and I'll tell you why that happens and how that happens. also want to let you know that we can see stress manifested as fatigue, as weight gain, And that can actually be associated with poor dieting. So when we're stressed, we don't eat well. Uh, We also know that can be a risk factor for cardiovascular diseases. So there I'm talking about stroke, hypertension or high blood pressure, heart attacks, heart failure, cancer I mentioned, obesity, 
Now, liver disease is a very important topic we haven't talked about, but we know that stress can be related to liver disease. And one of the manifestations of liver disease that goes beyond the usual liver disease that we know can be caused by overconsumption of alcohol. And the disease I'm talking about is something called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Let me repeat that. It's kind of a mouthful. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And we know that this can be a manifestation of what is called or referred to as metabolic syndrome. We also know we can start to get into problems with our kidneys, so kidney disease and diabetes, to name a few, as a result of not good diets. Now, when we talk about these two diseases or the diseases associated with liver disease that are not alcohol-related, we're really talking about something that's called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, NAFLD, okay? And then there is also something called non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. The acronym there you can remember is NASH. So if you ask a, good, a doctor, can you help me prevent NASH or can you help me understand if I'm at risk for NASH, N-A-S-H, just write that down and then you can Google it later. It is non-alcoholic steatohepatitis. So that we know can be associated with food consumption. I'm going to get to that in just one second. Same is true for non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And one of the mediators, one of the underlying causes that we believe is at the root of these two liver diseases, NAFLD and NASH, is the consumption of fructose and sugar. It's believed now with pretty good evidence that when we have diets high in fructose and sugar, that we are going to be at risk for liver disease. And you might not think that sugar and the liver go together, but in fact, there's a very close relationship biochemically and metabolically. One of the important things I think to know about these diseases is that we really talk about the relationship between metabolic diseases or metabolic syndrome, diabetes, liver disease, and at the heart of this is consumption of one product that's put in many, many different foods, and it is high fructose corn syrup. So this has been a topic of numerous articles, online discussions, TV programs, documentaries, and discussions at the policy level. And I'm here to tell you, and this may be a little bit controversial if you're a food manufacturer or even a consumer, but I'm going to tell you that one of the best things I think we can do for our own diets, for our own health, and in the process save lots of lives and prevent people from having to go to the hospital is to eliminate, and I mean eliminate, products that contain high fructose corn syrup, HFCS. So if you hear me talk about HFCS in this podcast, I'm talking about high fructose corn syrup. And we know that the consumption of high fructose corn syrup can be associated with not only changes in our metabolism and changes in our microbiome, but we also know it can lead to insulin resistance. That is a precursor to diabetes, and it leads to obesity, liver disorders I mentioned already. And one of the reasons why I think focusing this podcast on high fructose corn syrup to some extent is to put the idea in your head that we can actually modify our diets and have a huge impact on our overall health. And what's amazing is that high fructose corn syrup is what I look at really like a central node 
to our health. It's one of those exposures, perhaps as important as cigarette smoke, that is linked to so many different diseases that we really don't have time to go into all of them today. But clearly, one of the things that we know is that by reducing high fructose corn syrup in our diets, and it's been shown in animal models, we can actually improve our health substantially. And that is one of the key messages for today's podcast. Let's try for the remainder of this year to start working on eliminating high fructose corn syrup from our diets, not to mention added sugars of any type that you can think of, especially cane sugars. Now, how can I tell if your liver is not working well? Well, it's actually pretty easy. I can actually collect some serum or blood, and I can measure things like total bilirubin, haptoglobin, GGT, alpha-2 macroglobulin, apolipoprotein A. I can look at your liver function tests that we call those, the abbreviations for those are AST and ALT. I can do a platelet count. I can also check actually your cholesterol, your total glucose, your triglycerides, and I can also tell if your liver is working well by checking what we call coagulation studies because these are actually proteins made through your liver with your liver involved so that if you have poor levels of PT and PTT, the coagulation proteins, we can actually tell how well your liver is working. So coagulation studies are important because it measures how well your blood will actually coagulate if you get cut or have surgery. So we measure PT, prothrombin time, and PTT, partial thromboplastin time. A mouthful, right? Okay, let's get back into it. And let me tell you that if we want to reduce your risk of liver and other metabolic diseases, what action can you take literally today? What could you do? So my recommendation is now begin to read your food labels every time that you buy a product in the store. Could be at the grocery store, it could be at the pharmacy, it could be at a drugstore or other place where food is sold, and take a look at that label carefully. Read every label of what you buy at the store for you and or or your family. If the label states that one of the ingredients is high fructose corn syrup, HFCS, just put that item back on the shelf and move on to your next item. The other thing you can do is actually prior to going shopping next time, write down your shopping list so you know ahead of time what you're going to get and write down the name of the product that you want to buy and the brand. Then go online, search for that product, search in Google or other search engine, Type in the search the name of your product and then comma ingredient list. And then see if you can find the list of ingredients that your product has. See if your item contains high fructose corn syrup. And if it does, then make sure that you choose another item that does not have high fructose corn syrup. Now, if you can't find it online, the next time you go to the store, just pick up the product, read the ingredients on the label, and see if high fructose corn syrup is there. Again, if it's in the contents or the ingredients of that product, just put it back on the shelf and move on to another item to either replace that or move on to your next item on your list. One of the things that we know is that high fructose corn syrup is used worldwide, and it's used actually to replace sugar because it's cheaper. And that's okay, but the problem is that now we have epidemics of diabetes, heart disease, cancer, obesity, metabolic syndrome, they're literally killing millions every year. I'm not just talking about 
a few thousand or a few hundred people. I am talking about millions of people dying of these diseases. And we do know centrally that high fructose corn syrup is in so many products that if we can actually eliminate that from our diets, we have a chance to actually modify our risk substantially. I could even do some testing on your liver right now, no matter what your level of health or fitness is, see where you are right now, and then do diet changes, ask you to remove any product with high fructose corn syrup and sugar from your diet for a month or two, and then retest you and look at those biomarkers that indicate inflammation and liver disease, and it's likely that I can actually show or demonstrate to you a reduction in inflammation, a reduction in disease parameters or biomarkers that indicate that you have liver disease or diabetes or insulin resistance. So I want that message to be very clear today. That's a key message for today because when we talk about stress in our bodies, we talk about inflammation and what exposures can we actually eliminate that could be precursors to any disease risk. So that's one of them. The contents in our food are key. There's other contents in our food I won't have a lot of time to go into today, but I do have it on my list here to address in the future, one of which is titanium dioxide. I'm not sure if you've heard of titanium dioxide before, but it's very interesting. It is actually categorized by the FDA currently as a generally recognized as safe product. The International Agency for Research on Cancer, IARC, in Lyon, France, actually classifies it as a group 2B carcinogen. And this means it's an agent that may be carcinogenic, but we don't have enough animal or human data to actually say definitively that it is a cause of cancer. However, because there is some information about it already, I thought I should mention it. And you could be on the lookout for titanium dioxide in the products that you are buying in the future. So some of the products that actually titanium dioxide is found in include toothpaste, creamers for coffee, it's in cosmetics, it's in sunscreen. We know that small particles of titanium dioxide can actually be absorbed. So if we're swallowing food that has small titanium dioxide particles, they can actually cross into our tissue through the gut and or some that are very, very tiny like nanoparticles could be absorbed by the skin. That's a story for another day, but I just wanted to put that out there on your to-do list for reading more about going forward in the future. So I did just mention a minute ago oxidative stress. And I have had podcasts about this <clears throat> in the past, and I think it's very, very important to talk about because one of the things that we know is that oxidative stress can actually cause a lot of disturbances in our body, particularly when we talk about free radicals. And free radicals, we know can actually disrupt our tissue. And actually, you know, when we're born, we have what I would call pristine or perfect DNA. As we get older, as we age and we get exposed to different things in the environment or things that we take in and food or things that we do or behaviors like smoking and drinking, we actually disrupt our DNA. We damage our DNA, actually. And the exposure to free radicals happens through these behaviors or foods that we take in, and to the extent that we can actually modify, I mean reduce our exposure to free radicals, then we can actually reduce our risk of things like diabetes, atherosclerosis or hardening of the blood vessels, and inflammatory conditions. We can reduce blood pressure. 
We can reduce other risks of heart disease. We may even be able to reduce our risk of Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's disease, not to mention cancer. So really paying attention to what we do to our bodies is very important. We can actually quantify our exposure to free radicals, and we can actually look at this in our blood. But one of the things I wanted to mention to you is that when we talk about not only oxidative stress, but we talk about free radical exposures, we really think about ways that we can reduce that. What is one way? It is changing our diet. And one of the things you probably have heard is that the Mediterranean diet can actually reduce inflammation and can reduce free radical generation as well. So a Mediterranean diet includes things like olive oil, garlic, nuts, fish, and other products that actually are protective for our health. We'll go into that much more in future episodes, but I did want to mention that to you. Also, I need to mention that we can measure a lot of things in our bodies that actually indicate inflammation. One of them I wanted to highlight for you, you may have heard of, is called adipodectin. Adiponectin. A-D-I-P-O-nectin. N-E-C-T-I-N. A-D-I-P-O-nectin. N-E-C-T-I-N. It's all one word. And we can measure that in blood with a standardized test. And actually it correlates very well with something I just mentioned earlier called insulin resistance, kind of a precursor to diabetes. So higher levels of adiponectin mean higher levels of insulin resistance and suggest that we have problems with our metabolism. We are moving into a metabolic syndrome and increasing our risk of things like heart disease, cancer, diabetes. So I wanted to mention that as well. Now, some of the changes that I mentioned, like diet and other things, can actually lead to changes or reductions in biomarkers of inflammation. One of the biomarkers that I wanted to mention to you, which is now available, has been for a while, and has been published and written up a lot in the literature, is something called F2 isoprostanes. Okay, F2 hyphen isoprostanes. This is an oxidative stress biomarker, which we can measure. And what we found is that we can see higher levels of F2 isoprostanes in individuals that have cardiovascular disease. And so the more cardiovascular disease that an individual has, the higher the level of F2 isoprostanes. So we can actually measure that. I could order that test for you if you needed, and you could actually look at that value. We could track it over time as you adopt or change behaviors or start exercising, and we can see that level go down over time. It's not easy to measure. It has to be measured in a very standardized fashion. We need to validate the results, but I have access to those testing facilities if you need that, and I'd be happy to talk with you more about that offline or just email to me if you have a question about that. So it's F2 isoprostane. Now, uh, clinically, we can measure a ratio. It's the F2 isoprostane to creatinine ratio. We can actually measure this in urine. And this is considered to be, to some people, the gold standard for measuring oxidative stress. And that's great because we can then look at what people are doing when they have high levels, a high ratio of F2 isoprostane to creatinine, and then we can implement modifications in their lifestyle, behaviors, diet, that would lead to a reduction in that ratio, a lowering of it, actually. So today, one of the things I want you to do is think about your personal health strategy. Where in your life and what part of your life can you start thinking about where you can actually change 
your stress level. In fact, I have a question for you. Would it or will it ever be possible to eliminate or eradicate stress from our own lives or in a population of people? Is that actually a realistic goal? I think the answer is yes, but it will require daily focus on our plans, our own personal health policy, our activities that we use to reduce stress, and I mean every level of stress from oxidative or biochemical stress to daily mental stress even. And it has to be a comprehensive stress reduction strategy. I'd be happy to work with you. I have room to work with a couple of people on that right now. And drop me an email if you're interested to begin working on that as well. We can quantify your stress. I've discussed some ways to do that at the biochemical level. We can do it at the hormonal level. We can measure behaviors and activity levels. We can look at diet. We can look at inflammation, high sugar foods. There's a lot that we can do together. And you can also do a lot of your own reading on your own for the topics that I've mentioned here today. But always, if you ever have a question, just go ahead and email me at quant, Q-U-A-N-T, at quantitative-health.com. Thanks so much for listening. I really look forward to talking with you more. Send me any comments or questions by email as well. I'll pick them up and actually can use that to actually change my podcast and put in more topics or other topics. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye.